Welcome to Radio 1190. This is News Underground. My name is Lucy. I'm the news director here at the station, and I'm so excited for our show today. Uh, we have Jared Brausch in today. He is the general manager at the station, and he also has done quite a bit of research on media mergers. So we're going to talk a bit about the merging of PRX and PRI. PRX um, is a company that focuses on a lot of audio technology. Um, they have this Amer or pardon me, they have uh, Radio Lab and Reveal. Uh, PRI, which is Public Radio International, um, does also audio, a lot of journalism and storytelling focus. So they have This American Life and Marketplace. Uh, and so they announced very recently that um, they're going to merge along with um, the sister company WGBH. And so uh, we're going to kind of talk about that. Thank you so much for being on the program, Jared. No problem. Thanks for having me, Lucy. So can you explain a bit of what's happening here first off? Because there are three companies, but one merger and WGBH is not really merging. So it's a little bit of a tricky situation. Yeah. And it's interesting because we don't fully understand the public media system in America. We just assume everything goes through NPR and, and PBS. Whereas um, there are, especially in the radio world, there are several companies that are responsible for both producing and distributing um, a lot of content. And we get kind of that idea because so many stations are NPR affiliates, but it doesn't mean that they're only limited to NPR content. Whereas, and it's, I wouldn't call them competitors. I just say that it's, it's really funny because the public media market is very cooperative and, um, usually when a merger like this happens fellow companies aren't nearly as happy for you or happy for the business as as a lot of people i've talked to from npr and american public media which is the second largest um public media company or um radio media company in public radio public audio media company in the country and so um I guess to kind of back up a little bit, PRI, um, Public Radio International, has been struggling a little bit the last couple of years. Um, they lost some of their bigger shows. Um, um, this American Life went to a self-distribution model, um, whereas um, you had their other big show, Prairie Hope Companion, both deal with some controversy, and they also um, were picked up by a different distributor. And so... They were kind of reorganizing, and they saw PRX, and well, not even saw, they, uh, they all communicate, but PRX specialty is on-demand audio, whereas PRI's specialty is production and distribution, especially distribution over traditional um, um, syndication um, avenues, which um, is how most public media stations get their content. Um, along with being belonging to um, NPR or Pacifica or any of these other media companies, they also can buy individual programming as well. And so they basically kind of saw each other and said, well, um, and looking just to kind of give a comparison about where they fit in the market, uh, NPR revenue is probably between about 200 and 250 million a year. Um, American public media, I'd probably put it between 150 and 200 a year. 
um, and um, public radio. I know PRX is at around eight million um, last year for the revenue, and uh, whereas um, PRI is eighteen million. So you can see they're at a fraction of what these other two companies are at, and so they kind of looked at it and said, we both do something the other doesn't do as well. Let's combine. And with um, WGBH's relationship with PRI, they said, well, we'll invest $10 million into this venture. Um, one of the big successes recently for WGBH is their podcast garage. And so as part of this, they're going to open another one in Washington, D.C. They're launching more programs to increase the amount of podcasts that PRI distributes and PRX has on their channel. So really, unlike, and I'm sure we'll get to some of the larger commercial mergers in a minute, but unlike those mergers, this is more a kind of a cooperative merger and and more of kind of... um, um, again, saying we each do something well, we don't need to, and it doesn't sound like there's going to be much downsizing, which we usually see with mergers or much operational changes. They're kind of still going to remain separate companies, just with more cooperation when it comes to their content. So why do we think this happened? Is it mostly for the financial reason? Because there are different reasons why companies merge, as you mentioned, but because it is kind of a cooperative merge was it more out of necessity or more of desire um i would say for pri it was more out of necessity whereas prx was more out of desire um prx is, is has been expanding not as quickly as as we might think of a startup starting although those have their issues where their growth is based on venture capitalism and not true growth whereas prx has done a lot of grassroots growth over the last few years, but um, PRX, because of that, they could have remained just being what it is, which is um, um, really an on-demand station for a lot of public media, especially more independent public media stations, but um, they saw that PRI does have an advantage when it comes to production and when it comes to um, distribution and also assets as well. They do have a lot of these shows that have um, have familiarity in a lot of markets. And so PRX, I'm sure, was like, you guys are, are struggling a little bit, you, um, whereas we need to grow, especially when it comes to production. This makes a lot of sense for both of us, and it seems like um, the executives on both sides agreed, and, and it, it just kind of reading from um, the quotes and things like that just seems like a match made in heaven. And like I said, even the other public media stations are kind of shrugging their shoulders and say, this is only going to increase the quality of our content um, that we're able to purchase. And honestly, it doesn't really undermine APM or NPR in any way. It just adds more strength to what PRI and PRX were already doing. Right, because they will... um for lack of a better word, lease their content basically to NPR and such. And it's interesting um, that the CEO of PRX will be the CEO of the new organization, which they haven't really released a name for yet, Um, whereas the CEO of PRI uh, will become the executive chair of the board of directors. So it does seem pretty cooperative. Um, And that's really different from a lot of mergers, as you mentioned. How is it how is its uh, kind of status as a public media merger 
different than private media with like AT&T and Verizon and Disney. We've seen a lot of mergers like that and a lot of people perceive them as unfriendly. Yeah, and this one, as as I alluded to um, before, and that's a perfect word, it seems like the the most friendly cooperative merger that I've seen in the media in a long time um, because it isn't, I mean, it's it's, you can say it's money driven, but I would almost put it as survival driven, that they both recognize what their strengths are. There's no really money changing hands. There's no true kind of um, exchange of assets or exchange of stock or anything like that. It's again, two, two organizations recognizing what their strengths and weaknesses are and combining um, what they do best. Whereas, um, as we've seen from all any of these mergers, the AT&T Time Warner one, um, we've seen in the past with going all the way back from to Comcast buying NBC to um, D- Disney buying Capital Cities and ESPN in, in the 90s that it almost inevitably leads to downsizing. It leads to content change. It often leads to um, worse conditions for the audience in general that um, having less access to content or content being more expensive or um, as we're seeing, and this is another way that it, they, these a lot of these mergers have separated themselves is now you have content providers and ISPs and, um, and the cable companies that have long just been responsible for delivering the content getting into it because um, they... S- they're the ones controlling how we get the content. So they say, why don't we make money off of the content and control what people get? Because, uh, and kind of use Disney as an example, um, and, and an example we were talking about earlier, is that with Disney launching their streaming service, everyone's mad that they can't get Disney movies on Netflix um, as easily or on Amazon Prime. And so um, these commercial mergers often lead to, again, less selection, less choice, and um, worse economic conditions for the audience as they're looking to purchase or, or um, consume any type of content. And why have there been so many media mergers in the last few years? It does seem like um, there's been a big wave, more on the public side than the private per se, but... Um, and there's a couple reasons for that. Um, one is um, when one person does something, everyone kind of reacts. And Comcast buying NBC Universal um, had to be over 10 years ago um, was really kind of that start where um, Comcast recognized the value. And and I mean, Comcast tried to buy Disney. And we're really, really close to it about five years before the NBC purchase um, because they recognize that having control over the content that you're delivering gives you an advantage because um, as we've seen with Comcast doing to Netflix, um, Verizon has done to a few companies as well. Um, And actually we saw that with the wildfires where Verizon actually throttled the data of of the firefighters because they went over their limits. Um, and the same thing is happening when they deliver content where Comcast was caught throttling or slowing down um, the ability to download Netflix content. And that's, that's on, on the audience side or on the consumer side, that's a danger, whereas on the media side, that's an advantage because not only can you 
do some background things to make sure that your content gets um, priority over other content, but you can also um, 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 promote content across um, different platforms. Um, an example I always use in class is, is that when Frozen came out, you would see it on Good Morning America, you would see advertisements on ESPN, you would see advertisements um, or hear advertisements on um, ABC News or ABC Radio, and and it's not really hard to figure out why that was. Is the with Disney having control over that, they can tell the they can tell. I don't know if he was the host at this point, but they can tell Michael Strahan that he needs to do a story on Good Morning America about Frozen or about The Incredibles 2. Um, when Incredibles 2 came out, they were sponsoring the top ten on Sports Center. Um, along with um, being um, being seen on ABC Family or Freeform now, um, and so um, that ability too to cross market without paying extra money um, is also kind of a draw. But ultimately, having control over the content and being able to promote your content as a as a ISP or content deliverer over others is really the the draw for a lot of these companies. Yeah, it it definitely is more of a um, complicated and multifaceted circumstance for these public companies. Um, and I kind of want to talk about the merging of journalism outlets as well. So for those of us in the Boulder, Denver area, um, we've been seeing some cuts from the digital first media company which owns the denver post the boulder daily camera um, a lot of other local papers um, a while ago the denver post did acquire the rocky mountain news this was uh, about a dozen years ago or so and digital first is cutting again and it's interesting because people think that um, as a result of these sorts of journalism mergers because it's not just here in colorado it's all around the country um, it looks like the media industry is struggling financially, but Digital First actually, um, specifically with the Denver Post, has double-digit double profit margins, which is uh, very abnormal for a journalism outlet. And so for that circumstance, it does seem more of like a desire than a necessity, whereas PRX is necessity mostly, the PRX-PRI merge. Why, why do you think digital first and all of um, all of these companies are doing cuts like that even though they do have the profit what is, what is the benefit for them um, ultimately digital first doesn't care about news I mean that's when it comes down to it they're they don't view the Denver Post as a journalistic outlet or a service to the community or a democratic need they just see it as that as an entity and so much like any other venture capitalist coming in um, to any company, and uh, and um, my dad worked for airlines for 35 years, and I mean the same thing happened, and it comes in waves for industries, and and we saw it with the airline industry, and it continues that um, there's two ways to make money. You, um, especially when you're coming in as a new company, you either increase revenue or de decrease cost, and ultimately. Um, Digital First, their goal is really not to sustain the Denver Post. Um, they might like the brand and they might like the name, but 
their goal is to really just squeeze every cent out of it, regardless of what news they produce, regardless of um, what they do. And they're doing that, um, one, by putting less money toward journalistic um, endeavors, whether that's investigative journalists, whether that's just having enough staff, whether that's um, having more people on research and on fact-checking. Um, and so downsizing and then also um, increasing advertising and increasing um, native ads and increasing their willingness to work with different sponsors and things like that that might undermine um, their journalistic integrity. And so um, that's why um, looking at this, the PRI-PRX um, merger, um, it's, it's so unique because, and, and this is something that um, public media in, in no way is perfect, but has always kind of um, separated themselves from a lot of um, news organizations is that they have, their ultimate goal is producing news that the way NPR and APM are making money, obviously they have non-news content and informational content and music shows and stuff like that, but ultimately it's it's also partly because they are a reliable journalistic outlet and even whether they're producing um, the world, the, um, I got BBC World, but um, whether they're producing kind of a traditional news show or whether they're producing Radio Lab or, and them using they very broadly as public media or what, what don't tell me or um, it's always high quality. It's all, all the information there is always well checked and, and, and the production itself is, is of high quality. And so um, it takes a lot of work to get to the point where you're respected enough where you can make money off of producing really great journalism, and there's always going to be a ceiling about how much money you can make doing that. And we've seen more organizations than not say, well, either we don't care about that ceiling, we're going to trade in some of our integrity to, to go beyond that, and that's where the CNNs of the world go. Or um, they say, you know what, um, news isn't worth it, or we're going to kind of undermine the news we're already producing and kind of strip everything away and make money that way, and which is what Digital First is doing. And then ultimately, they'll send the Den sell the Denver Post um, to someone else, um, and between um, the purchase price and the revenue they made by stripping the paper down, they'll make money off of it, and then some other company most likely smaller with less resources will try to try to either fix the Denver Post or as we're seeing with the Colorado Sun and and and, and organizations like that a third party will just come in and and um, kind of fill the gap that the newspaper or the media entity that's left um, in shambles um, need, um, they're, they're the ones I'll come in and take over for that spot and so how does this then affect those that are making content stories, podcasts, uh, audio shows, and how, how does that affect different for those who are in public media like PRI, PRX, um, NPR, American public media, versus those who are in um, privately owned media like the Denver Post or even hypothetically if like the New York Times were to merge with somebody? 
One of the things that truly separates NPR and APM and all of them is consistency. The fact that um, you have, for the most part, a group of people that um, truly enjoy producing content, producing news, are willing to, although it's not really the case anymore, but historically we're willing to take a pay cut for that job security, for that consistency, for that ability ability to know the next day not only will you have a job but that job will be similar or the same to the job you did yesterday and so um, that's a big reason for the quality of content here whereas there and we're I mean we're seeing it even increasing with a lot of these um, traditional and um, legacy news outlets where um, and we saw it um, a couple weeks ago with the Daily News in New York where um, no one's safe right now at all. And so um, you have a lot more turnover, you have a lot more movement, um, you have a lot more insecurity as well, which with that insecurity comes the need to either stick out or the need to um, make yourself known, which can lead to more sensational news coverage and can lead to, um, I guess, less concern with, getting information and facts out there and more concerned with branding yourself and having some type of personality connected with your journalism. And as, again, pointing um, to vilify cable news, that's been one of the biggest downfalls for all these companies is, or all these news organizations, especially on cable, but it's happening more in local news and on broadcast news is that when your desire is to be a personality or to be or to sensationalize the news, you lose a lot of the core of what we need as in a democracy when it comes to basic information and basic news. And so instead of CNN giving you the facts about um, the numbers and the economics of the what the tax cuts are going to mean, instead it's a bunch of people yelling about why the Republicans are right or why the Democrats are right about their stance on it instead of actually getting down to the core of the facts and information. And so, um, again, that insecurity breeds instability, and we're seeing that instability really kind of coming out, especially in national news. Right, and I mean, it doesn't necessarily help for news in general that uh, there's an administration in federal office that does not like it. Uh, the Boston Globe organized dozens of editorials throughout the nation uh, very recently. And it's interesting that um, there are these mergers and there are these changes, and yet people are still subscribing to news. People yeah. are still paying attention, um, and yet it, it's still hard for the creator to, to really get that benefit from there. And the one place um, that is being overlooked that really needs more attention in terms of, again, this turnover and this instability is local television news. And the fact that 50% of people still get the majority of their news from local television news, and mo I mean, mostly either the 611 or going out the door in the morning. Um, but one, we need to pay attention to the the national, especially the owned-operated stations, but the national network really influence in local news. And we see that ton that 
taking away time, especially at the end of the show, for a national story or the fact that entire B blocks are national stories that honestly anyone can get anywhere but are being pushed by the the larger um, the larger ABCs or NBCs. Um, um, the affiliates are being pushed to produce those stories. And it also brings up, I mean, the fact that you, you brought up the FCC, the fact that the FCC were... S- it was so blatant that they actually started commenting about the Sinclair um, acquisition, which which has fallen through. But that that was Sinclair. What they saw was that that fifty percent got their news from local news, and as I mean, really, they're they're kind of the Fox News of local broadcasting. And when they went in to buy all these local stations, it was. Um, they saw the value in controlling local news, one, for the advertising, because um, if they controlled both the the national content along with the local content, um, the only, for local affiliates, um, the only real revenue they get is from um, playing advertisements during the local news and local um local content and so Sinclair saw that as another revenue source along with the ability to influence millions of people through these affiliates because people don't have the same scrutiny over local news as they do um, about national cable news and so um, Sinclair saw an advantage there and they were very close um, to acquiring Tribune which would have given them an affiliate in every major market and what they're doing with the affiliates already was forcing them to do um, to do pieces that were either pro-Trump or pro-Republican, which um, in the grand scheme of things, I don't care about, but they're purporting it as being locally produced and being, um, being unbiased, which is not true. And so... Um, the fact that the FCC actually stepped in on that and, and helped um, end that is significant because um, still, again, one, the ABCs and NBCs of the world are doing that to local affiliates, and two, um, we forget that um, with the fear over newspapers and with the attention cable news is getting, we forget that how many people actually still get their news from local television news and how influential it can be and how really prob- if if you get the right people how it can be used for propaganda as well yeah well and it is interesting that so many people still get news from tv but the amount of people getting news from podcasting is increasing yep. you've seen the new york times making the daily podcast in the last few years because they realized people would rather listen to a 15-minute podcast than read the news or read a five-minute newsletter um and so what do you think we might see from this merge because this pri prx merge that we've been talking about um they are very very heavy emphasis on podcasting and do you think what do you think the effect might be on both the industry and on consumers for the industry i think we'll see in one of the biggest issues especially news podcasters have been having is uh, actually it's been two issues one um the fact and this is a complaint in general for news media is so many of them are urban focused particularly in new york and boston and la 
And so much like with the election, much like um, with general news coverage, the entire middle of the country is being overlooked. Um, another issue is just um, the fact that they go stale very quickly. And even for us in the mountain region, I'll try to listen to The Daily or um, yeah, the podcast from um, New York Times or Washington Post. And even in that two hours, it, it's, some of the stuff is either has been updated or is no longer relevant. And so one, I would think that there'll be more, more podcasts coming out that will update that information, that will also pay attention to time zones. Um, one of the issues with The Daily is the fact that it's in New York and so they're already talking about doing an LA edition to to for the West Coast, and so um, paying attention to the the fact that we don't all live in New York, we don't all live in LA, um, and paying attention to those other parts of the country, and doing more locally produced podcasts to do news, and then the other side of it um, as well is, is going to be um, better distribution and better and more. Um, these shows, especially for PRX and PRI, that, um, and honestly, I can't think of them off the top of my head because they're not getting enough attention, but um, we can always point to This American Life and say, oh, you did a great job with this, but there's a hundred other podcasts that aren't getting that attention. And so um, just, yeah, just better with um, keeping up with the news and keeping up with updates, but also portions of the country, I mean, even looking at PRI and the fact that they're headquartered in Minneapolis, and a place that isn't really known as a media hub in this country, um, leads to more people and more issues and more more places getting attention. And so um, that's, I think, where it's really going to come into play is more markets getting new shows and also just um, better consistency what, what, when it comes to keeping up with the news and updating and things like that. Right. It is interesting that uh, it's housed in Minneapolis and um, another more local version of that that I think of is uh, 105.5 up in Greeley. Yeah. Uh, love Greeley. It's not the most metropolitan city, but the Colorado Sound, once it um, dissociated from the campus and even before that a little bit uh, was really growing and they have their podcast uh, now too which is new um, and it's basically the Colorado version of a lot of it um, and I'm trying to find it and I do not have it off the top of my head if you go to their website you can find it but um, it's, it's, a, it's just another example of kind of how diversifying the location that alone fixes a lot of the gaps so and and for PR I mean with PRX its biggest issue was um, I mean it continues to be since since um, they're still working on the specifics but um, their biggest issue was getting on broadcast and I think this is in a way PRI represents kind of the old guard whereas PRX represents the new guard and PRI is much better um, at attracting that older audience that we might be th- we might think is aging out of this stuff, but at the same time, they're the ones with the money to donate. They're the ones who have the memberships. They're the ones who have disposable income to put toward 
um, donations and public media and things like that. And so PRX wants that audience to donate to them, to reach. Whereas PRX, obviously, as, on, as an on-demand station, is reaching a younger audience. Um, PRI was struggling a little bit with getting um, their podcast recognition, especially, again, the podcasts that were either locally produced or didn't have quite the brand name as some of their other shows. And so um, as... as um, as um, some of the executives at PRX said, there is still and will continue to be a huge audience for broadcast, and I think that's where PRX is hoping that they expand, whereas PRI obviously is is hoping with podcasts and, and on-demand and things like that that they're able to capture that younger audience, whereas hopefully PRI has that older audience that PRX really wants for the money and for um, their listenership as well. Right, and I want to correct what I said earlier. Um, I mentioned that the Colorado Sound 105.5 here in the Denver metro area had the podcast. It is actually their sister station, KUNC, which is 91.5 for a lot of us down in the metro area. And the podcast is Colorado Edition. Um, and it, it just kind of is similar to what you might find on uh, something that's a little bit more national, but with that local feel. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with me here. I've been speaking with Dr. Jared Roush. He recently uh, finished his doctoral studies. Uh, remind me what you were studying specifically. So um, um, I generally I study the political economics of the media and, and specifically the history of ownership and the history of um, content distribution and things like that. My dissertation looked at Hanna-Barbera specifically, which... Um, brought me into knowing so much about Time Warner, who now owns the rights to that. Um, but I mean, even if we, as we look for two companies to keep your eye, or three technically, keep your eye on Verizon, they're looking to buy someone. And then CBS and Viacom, too, they're talking about remerging after um, they were separated um, about 15 years ago into CBS and Viacom. They're talking about not only remerging, but also purchasing someone else. And so there's a lot more on the horizon to look forward to. It's a busy field out there, folks. You've been listening to News Underground on Radio 1190. Thank you so much.